0: Hi folks, this is Brad Watson, pastor at Nexus Church. We are glad you have found our sermon podcast and that you're interested in our teachings. If you've ever considered financially supporting our work at Nexus Church, you can do that at nexuschurch.ca slash give. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. We've reached the point of the season where it's time to move beyond our tensions with God. That's how we spent the first part of our season and move into tensions with ourselves. And from now till Advent, I want to focus on our relationship with time and space, how those two elements create a sense of internal friction. And the premise uh, and guiding assumption of my talk this morning is simply this, you feel weary and exhausted, unable to keep up. That's my hunch, is that that's what everybody's feeling here this morning. And I don't mean that you just didn't get enough sleep last night. I mean something deeper, something more pervasive, perhaps a, a general malaise, uh, a bit of an overwhelming feeling by all the demands, the expectations, the opportunities, the distractions. And I want to submit to you this morning that collectively we are suffering from a plague, a uh, Something that only the Germans could name, Zeitgenheit, unique German word meaning time and sickness together, time or hurry sickness. And I think this plague is particularly rampant in our modern Western world, but we even catch glimpses of it in Scripture. Particularly, I think, in the story of Martha and Mary. Luke 10, we're told this story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. Oh, how relatable is this? Martha can't keep up. She can't keep up. There's too many things to be done. There's too many opportunities, too many expectations and duties. And, and culturally, of course, Martha's under the, the yoke of cultural patriarchy. She's under the yoke of a culture with incredibly high expectations when it comes to hospitality. And at the same time, while she's wearing those expectations, there's something compelling about this Jesus figure. She wants to just sit under his teaching. But this leaves Martha stuck. Martha wants it all. She wants a good life like the rest of us. She wants to live up to the cultural expectations she lives under while also enjoying enough leisure time, some downtime, to bask in in Jesus' teaching, to, to sit and have the time to ponder the most important things in life. But there's no time for that. She can't attend to her spiritual life with the cultural demands surrounding her, pressing down on her. No time to pause and reflect too much to be done. Sound familiar? Does life feel good and balanced to you or busy and frantic? Martha had these cultural expectations she was living under, and so do we. And today, I think we've come to imagine that the good life, so to speak, is the ability to keep up, want to be able to eat right, I need time to read, of course. I want to serve the community, embrace community. Of course, I need time to exercise. And I want to be an attentive partner and parent. But who has the time for all of that? More than ever, I think we sense today that in order to live a good life is to live a fast life, a life that keeps pace with all the change and opportunity. Today, I would say we're like poor Martha on crack. We live in a cult of speed, the religion of the rat race. How do we keep up with all these opportunities in front of us? So Martha's in this place of tension. She has cultural expectations weighing her down. And it won't allow her to sit and ponder the most important things in life. And we're not so different today. We, too, have a role to play culturally. And like Martha, if we play that role well, it can keep us from hearing the voice of God. Keep us from being able to ponder and consider and enjoy the deeper things of life. And the cultural expectation on each of us today is this. Keep up and move fast. And if you fail to do that, you'll get left behind. How did we end up here? Well, this morning I want to consider again our relationship with time and speed. And A number of years ago, I was at Ribfest with my brother Mike. And we're wandering around, you know, doing the rib and beer thing. And we're wandering around. And at one point, a man comes up to me and says, Hey, do you know what time it is? And I had my watch on. I said, Sure do, pal. I said, It's 4.30. It's he said, Thanks. And he walked away. And my brother, in that moment, he said, What are you doing? It's not 4.30. It's 5 o'clock. I said, What? How is that possible? I, I was wearing a mechanical watch. And they're a thing of beauty. My wife had got it for me for Christmas. The thing of beauty, you can see how they operate inside. But of course, the thing with mechanical watches is if you, if you don't move, the clock stops working. And so apparently I'd been a little too uh, non-moving. And my clock had fell behind. I'd given this person 30 minutes off. And my brother said, well, you got to chase him down and tell him the right time. I said, well, what do you mean i got to chase him down? He was probably just curious. It's not incumbent on me to have the right time. He's got a phone. He should know. said, listen to yourself. What if he's meeting up with some friends? He's going to be half an hour late. I thought, huh, that is a good point. Maybe I should chase after him. He's like, or even worse, what if he's on a date? Maybe he's already relationally on the rocks. This is his last chance. And now he's going to show up 30 minutes late to his date. She's going to tell him, you never care about me. You don't care about my time. He's going to end up broken up with. I said, boy, that's a lot of pressure. I said, all right, Should you think I should chase after him? He said, I do. And it looked, he was about 100, 200 meters away at this point. I said, that's a far, that's a, that's a long way away. And my brother was like, yeah, let's forget it. Um, <laughs> I'm still haunted, though. What did I do to this person? 30 minutes behind. I, I want us to think about that for a moment. We live in a day and age where we follow the clock precisely, and when thinking about time, each of us know right now, you can pull out your phone, you know, down to the minute exactly what time it is, and this feels normal to us. But it's anything but. Consider how unique we are in the history of humanity. Carl Onauer, something like that, in praise of slowness, challenging the cult of speed, said, in the early 1880s, that's what, 140 years ago? For instance, New Orleans was 23 minutes behind Baton Rouge, 80 miles to the west. When no one could travel faster than a horse, such absurdities hardly mattered. James Gleick, in his book, Faster, railroads demanded punctuality. They forced people to be on the clock or even on time. Until they could ride on trains, few people traveled fast enough to notice clocks separately or set differently at their destination took telegraphs and telephones to synchronize clocks separated by hundreds of miles. In a networked world, time as a universal ticking away everywhere in unison seems normal. But to the 19th century, railroad time came as a shock, an unwelcome side effect of technology. It was not until the end of World War I that the United States codified standard time in law. That feels like a long time ago, but it's not that distant. For the first time in human history, we're on the clock in a way none of our ancestors could have ever imagined. We now live, you could say, in the age of the clock, the cult of speed. Hartmut Rosa, one of the, so I'm told, one of the world's leading social theorists, identifies three interconnected elements that have contributed to the cult of speed we live under and why we're under its grasp. And these three things are this, technological acceleration, the acceleration of social change, the acceleration of the pace of life. We want to look at those three together. Technological acceleration. When We ask ourselves, why do I always feel like I'm in a hurry? Why do I always feel like I'm behind? Why do I always feel like I'm trying to catch up? There are reasons for that. The first is that our technology is accelerating us as a species In fact, there are empirical studies, so I'm told, I don't know how they know this, but so I'm told, um, says we sleep less, we eat quicker, we walk faster, we even speak faster than ever before. And it's no accident because the goal of technology is to accelerate us, to speed up transportation, communication, production. Hartman Rosa points out how we've accelerated. Consider this, the period from the invention of the radio At the end of the 19th century, to its distribution to 50 million listeners, lasted 38 years. The television, introduced a quarter of a century later, needed only 13 years to achieve this, while the internet went from the first to 50 million people connected in barely four years. That is an objective speed-up. And I mention this not just to make an interesting observation, but to say this, technological innovation makes moral claims on our lives. It's not just passive, it makes a moral claim on our lives, and it's this, always increasing speed is to ingest a moral framework that honors the new and fast over the old and slow. Our technology wants us to speed up. Think about the way we approach the environment and climate change. We're living in this moment in Canada right now, really interesting, carbon tax is in the news, right? A lot controversy over the carbon tax. And the logic of the bait is very interesting to me. With with the birth of modernity, of course, the advent of the machine, uh, it led us to release all these poisonous gases into the atmosphere. But when we think of what will save us from polluting and saving the climate, it's technology. Technology got us in this mess, but technology is also our Lord and Savior and will save us from this. It's both the reason for our crisis and our only hope to solve it. And Consider how this plays out in environmental debates. Those against environmental restrictions, they don't want us to slow down production, right? It will bottleneck, if we slow down production, it will bottleneck the acceleration of our economy. And we have to keep that in mind. But on the other side of the debate, we have people saying the solution is to speed up. Speed up green technology. We need more solar cars, solar panels, solar paint. What's interesting to me is that both sides have a similar logic, a moral framework in their mind. We have to speed up. Our technology wants us to speed up. Consider the apps we have on our phones. There's a lot of guilt that comes living with modernity. We we, we might be the most secular age ever, but we're always feeling guilt about stuff. All the convenience. Uber Eats, skip the dishes. Cursed those apps. I hate that they were invented, it's too easy. What the premise is, though, right? This will save you time. Save you time. You don't have time to cook grocery shop. There's not enough time. And you could use that better spent doing other things. Well, like what? Maybe reading? Maybe educating yourself? But then we have apps like Blinkist and Headway. And the premise of them is you don't have time to read. Please, reading. What these apps do is this. Here, we're going to narrow down these books into 15-minute digestible pieces. That way, You don't have to shop or cook or eat and you can get a book in 15 minutes and what's happening is the compression of time. It's not trying to save you time, it's trying to tell you you can do more with your time. I've been taking my kids to swimming lessons and it's out in Wilmot, so I'm I'm always pretty confident I won't know anywhere, anyone out there. And uh, so they go swimming and to my chagrin, I noticed that they have a canteen snack bar. And uh, they serve nachos and cheese, and I'm a real sucker for nachos and cheese. I love it. I absolutely love nachos and cheese, but you don't want to be caught eating nachos and cheese. And so they, they go they go swimming. I sneak over to the canteen. I get nachos and cheese, and then I go up to the second floor where there's less people because I don't want to be seen eating nachos and cheese. And I had out there watching the kids uh, do their swim lessons. And last week. I'm eating my nachos and cheese I'm about halfway done and much to my chagrin, somebody, Brad, is that you? I'm like, oh, great. Halfway through my nachos and cheese, I got cheese on my shirt, spilled, have a conversation the whole time. I'm just feeling guilty about how pathetic is it to eat nachos and cheese while your kids are swimming. And then what's even worse is in my head, I'm like, I think my cheese is getting cold. This is no good. I, by the time the conversation was done, I had to poke a hole through the, you know, ugh have this conversation. I was just feeling gross about myself. Look at what you've become, Brad. And right at that moment, I noticed a big sign, community swimming pool. It's a sign that said, parents, you can scan this QR code to find out all our programming while your kids are doing things. You can exercise and educate yourself while your kids are swimming. I thought, this is quite a marvel, really, when you think about it. Here I am, have an hour to watch my kids, but that's a waste of time just watching my kids swim. I can scan the app, I can listen to three audiobooks, get in yoga and some meditation all within the span of an hour. This is culturally, I think, the message we're swimming in. Do more with your time. Sitting and watching your kids for an hour, what are you, a loser? Speed up? And even when I start to feel overwhelmed by it all, I can always get the app calm. Oh, I can get headspace. What's the inference of the message there? There's no excuse not to meditate, it's so convenient. You can do it anywhere. You don't need a guide. You don't need a guru. Thank God you don't even need a community to do it in. You can just do it on your own, individually, for five minutes at a time. Meditation can happen anywhere. And it seems like an app that's meant to help us slow down, but if you really think about it, it's anything but. You realize that the inference is that we don't have time to meditate. You're on the clock, so hurry up. The app is designed to help us deal with the acceleration of life so that we can go on living at high speed. The app isn't meant to break us free from the call of speed. It's to help us cope with the rushing pace of life. And in the call to speed, technological innovation, it makes a moral claim on our lives. Embrace what is new and speed up. Let's talk about porn. Why not, right? This is probably online porn, the greatest technological innovation in terms of what the new cult of speed can offer us. What is the promise of online porn? Sex that is fast and new, always. In real life, The act of sex is very, very slow. Okay, maybe not the act itself, but the process of sex itself is actually very, very slow. (laughs) Consider this. Let's say I wake up in the morning. I want to have sex. Now, immediately I must wait because Kristen is working. There's a seven, eight-hour wait. By the time she gets home, my kids are home. And quite frankly, I don't go to bed at 9, 9.30 these days, so my window, window of opportunity, getting not a lot of time there. But take it even outside of time. Then there's the whole personal element. I have to connect with a human being. Kristen, how was your day? Was it hectic? Was it frantic? Are you well-fed? Have you had enough wine? That one's important. You know, just get all the conditions right. There are so many... Variables involved in sex that make it a very, very slow process. Sex in real life can't keep up with the cult of speed. It's like a, it's been relegated to the museum of antiquity. But we have an app for that, we have a website for that. And the cult of speed, what online porn offers, is borderline miraculous. Sex on demand. With newer and newer and newer partners. What a miracle. Except, of course, that uh, as the science shows, it makes you unable to connect with another person, an actual partner. The declining rate of teens and young adults having sex these days is, is no coincidence to me that it's uh, at the same time the proliferation of online porn. If you want a scientific study about it, consider Gary Wilson's book, Your Brain on Porn, Internet Pornography, the Emerging Science of Addiction. Or consider this all article, came out recently, published in a lot of different newspapers, journals, why women, what, how would we go here? Women are quitting dating because it's a dumpster fire out there how we got here and what can help. I'm getting some, yeah, resonate. What's going on? We've come to expect sex in real life is way too slow. Got to speed it up. The sensation of the new and the fast and the cult of speed, online pornography is miraculous. But when sex is a conversation between two bodies connection of two people. It's a slow and spiritually resonant connection. It's about persons in union with another person's being. And and this is why I maintain, despite its flaws, church has done a whole lot of harm, but we desperately need the church's voice in any conversation about sexual ethics. Because when we promote fidelity and self-sacrificial love, the church insists this, sex is not a cheap consumer good. There are good reasons to go slow. But in the cult of speed, there's no patience for that. You may say, but we're liberated. But are we? Are we? Or are we simply adherents bowing down to the overlords of the cult of speed? But it's not just that. There's also the acceleration of social values and norms. Our social life is speeding up. Hartmut Rosa calls this the rate of social decay, the rate of decay. And we get this sort of organically, right? Like if you take spinach and bury it in the ground, it will decay within two weeks. A banana peel takes two years. Plastic can take anywhere from 20 to 500 years. But what Hartmut Rosa does is apply this to social norms as well. A decay rate then is the amount of time it takes a social norm to dissolve in relation to the environment. How long does it take something before it goes from being fresh and present to old. And so Hartman asked these questions. How long is the decay rate of technology and our social norms, how long does it take for what is of the present to be considered of the past and therefore old? Well, let's try it. Everyone take out your phone. Everyone take out your phone. Anyone have an iPhone 1? No, eh? Okay, you hold in your hand. This is uh, iPhone 14. (laughs) Already outdated. The 15's come out. Hold on to this because what you're looking at is something that's going to be uh, an archaeological piece in about four years. Here's my hunch. In four years, none of us are holding the phone we're holding right now. It'll be considered decayed, outdated. The iPhone 1 was released in 2007. That's not that long ago. The office was in its third season. The decay rate of our phones and communication systems, technologies, it feels much older than it actually is. Today, you could say Silicon Valley is now the grand timekeeper. They are our gods, and we follow them. But this also has moral implications decay rate of technology is quick, so is the decay rate of social norms. You want a great example of this. Um, Anyone watching or have watched um, HBO show Silicon Valley? Anyone? There we go. Episode four, season five in this show, and now it's received high critical praise for capturing the ethos of, of Silicon Valley. And in this episode, uh, what's the name of the company in there? What is it? Pied Piper. They're discussing, should we allow a Christian dating app on our services? This is the comment. You can be openly polyamorous, and people here will call you brave. You can put microdoses of LSD in your cereal, and people will call you a pioneer. But the one thing you cannot be is Christian. I need to make a point that this is an HBO show and not like some crazy right-wing Christian movement going, see, we're so, we're so, uh, we're so martyred here. This is an HBO show, and the, the idea is to point out the hypocrisy and flaws of Silicon Valley. And whether or not you find that line funny, I think it's kind of funny, it hints at something deeper here. I don't think it's just Christianity, it's organized religion. Not that welcome in Silicon Valley. Well, why? Because whether it's Christianity or other organized religion, we often promote a way of life that's prone to slowing down and looking back. And slowing down and looking back are the one thing in the cult of speed that is anathema. This is the social decay rate. Or consider... What many mistakenly believe is the uh, the greatest sitcom of all time, The Office. No, no, no jeers, eh? I think we all know, right? Like it's just beyond doubt that Seinfeld is the greatest sitcom of all time. <laughs> there they are. There they are, the minority Office fans. There they are. Oh, I'm glad you're here. I love that show. It's a great show. Uh, in fact, this week here's some homework. Watch a few episodes of The Office. Um, Remember, like I just said, The Office was released in 2005 and its last episode was in 2013. That's not that long ago. And yet, now it is culturally decayed. Steve Carell was asked in an interview in 2018 in Vanity Fair about an Office reboot. And uh, in that article, a quote struck me. A fan of the show said this, I miss that show because it comes from a time when you could screw up say something stupid, and not be completely destroyed on social media. Like the jokes that were allowed last week aren't allowed this week. The call-out trigger is warp speed. And to be honest, it's hard to keep up. But Michael Scott never had to sweat the constant call-out. Notice in that line there, the craving of nostalgia. It's hard to keep up. And the office comes from a time... (laughs) Well, we're talking 10 years ago. Comes from a time in distant history. No, 10 years ago. And when Steve Carell was asked, could you ever reboot The Office? He said, no, absolutely not. It would never work. Why? He said, the Office of the Humor would violate too many of our new social norms. Michael's sexual innuendos in the show, much of the comedy of the show, was based on comedy that's no longer allowed. It's decayed and become part of the past. He's like, well, but why? I can still watch it on Netflix. Why? Because it feels like a relic, elicits nostalgia, feels old. It's like stranger things. We, we, we crave for the 80s. Why? It seemed like such a more simple time. And we're now at the point where we crave the early 2000s as a simpler time. It wasn't that long ago. Our social lives are accelerating so much, we feel like we can't keep up. And this is making us feel socially lonely. We feel morally old. What is old is past and behind. And and there's a moral framework again at work here. Those falling behind are ones who cannot keep up and cannot move fast. And as technology is sped up, so have our social norms. And the social, the moral framework behind it all is fast, new. I mean, let me illustrate this by asking a question, when was the last time you read a book by someone dead? For me, it's been a while. And the idea is this, the dead have nothing to say. There's no wisdom in older generations, those who have passed. Wisdom, that book better have been out in the past two years or it probably doesn't have much of value. The cult of speed, what is good... Immoral is what is new and fast. And then you have the acceleration of the pace of life. We see this perhaps most dramatically with email, right? Now, culturally, when when email showed up, should theoretically cut our communication half in time. Before email, maybe you got, what, five letters a day in the mailbox? Spent maybe two hours petting a letter. Lick the envelope, put it on, there you go. But with email, you can... Correspond with five people in 20 minutes, and that should cut our time of communication way lower so that we have more free space in the day. But, again, in the cult of speed, that time needs to be filled. That time needs to be filled. And what it really does is it creates the conditions for you to receive not five correspondence a day, but 55, maybe even 100 emails a day. And we have the tools. We think, oh, okay, I got the tools. I can keep up with this. But now we also have text And messaging services and social media. And before those, you could maybe interact with your coworkers and a few others a day, maybe 30 people a day. Today, you can interact and be in contact with hundreds, thousands of people in a single day. And you decide, you know what? It used to take me two hours to correspond. Now I need maybe three or four hours where am I going to get that extra time? Well, I better take it from sleeping or eating. Good thing I got skipped the dishes. Or voila, never mind. I can multitask. I can multitask. I can go and theoretically watch my son play soccer, but I'm not really watching him play soccer because what I'm doing is interacting with the the rest of the people that I'm in contact with. Emails, texts. And if you think this is just something I'm making up here, imagine right now you got back from vacation because you know that's hell. You get back from vacation, you take off your autoresponder, and it's like, oh, oh, I had time away, but now I'm going to have to double, triple my time to respond to all these emails. We become so indoctrinated into the cult of speed. Just ask yourself this, why can't you, or why aren't you allowed to put on your autoresponder with something like this? Um, sorry, try again. I'll be back on December 1st. Do You try again then. I'm away, and all my correspondence will be ignored and deleted until I return. Why can't I do this? Sorry, this email and phone number are no longer taking messages until date. Sorry, this email and phone number are closed for two weeks. You try to contact me when I reopen. Why can't we do that? You say, well, there's little ways we can do it. But no, in the cult of speed, that would be bad, bad, bad. You gotta catch up. You gotta speed up. You can't ever be off. The pace of life and the cult of speed, it demands innovation. Demands we find more ways to get stuff out of our finite resources of time. And when we read about innovation and technology, we think, hooray, more innovation. But what innovation has really come to mean is that you have an imperative to survive, and if you don't, you're going to be crushed by the anxiety of falling behind. Had a good friend recently say to me, we're talking about AI, artificial intelligence. His line was this, if you're not already using AI, you're already behind. That's cheery news in the cult of speed. But what would it be? Use AI and then I would, what, write a really weird sermon from some computer? That would save me time and then what? Produce more, produce more, produce more. Speed up and do more is the dogma of the cult of speed. It's the highest moral good and we're in the most secular age of our time, but I think what many of us don't realize is we've just surrendered to the God and cult of speed. There's a reason that all of us feel weary and exhausted. There's a reason we don't feel like we can keep up. There's a pervading sense that we're overwhelmed by all the demands and expectations and opportunities and distractions, and what you're feeling today is a symptom an illness inherent to the cult of speed, zeitgenheit, time, hurry sickness. You're tired for a reason, and you're not alone. It's all of us. Let's normalize it. What is the solution? Well, I hope you join me next week for my seven tips for saving time. It was a joke. No. No, we don't need I doubt there is a solution, but I think there's something powerful about naming our moment in time. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to suggest a few things, and none of them are time management strategies, okay? Because the last thing we need is guilt of going, oh, I'm doing two and three, but I missed one, five, and six. It's just guilt, guilt, guilt. But I want to suggest some things over the next few weeks that's going to put us into the tension our season theme. This morning, I simply wanted to name that, but I want us to take a look at Matthew 11. Just read this and tell me how good this sounds. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and humble and heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is life. In the cult of speed, yoke is heavy, burden is hard, but there's a glimpse here of something different. And for this morning, I simply want to name the tension we're experiencing and spell it out. I'm going to ask the band to come and close us off. There's not enough time to get into maybe ways to think about this. We'll pick that up next week. But those things that we do not name continue to haunt us and hold power over us but the things that we name can be addressed. And so that feeling you have this morning, that anxious feeling in your chest, even now, you're like, okay, what are we, five, ten minutes out from being done, and then i got to do this, and then i got to do this. That sense that we can never do enough, that we can never keep up or be enough, there's a name for that. And it's the God of the cult of speed calling to you Go faster. Do more. Embrace what is new. Feeling is a time sickness, zikenheit. And it must be resisted so that we can embrace this.